You're listening into the Locked On Golden Gopher Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Nate Dickinson here, your host, coming up on the show today. Happy Tuesday to everybody, and it is a happy Tuesday to be a Minnesota Gopher fan. No doubt about that. Marcus Carr, a big game winner yesterday against Loyola Marymount. The second time in three days that the Gophers faced off against the Lions. We'll get my analysis from that game. I was taking notes throughout while watching yesterday. And also we'll hear what Richard Pitino and Marcus Carr, the star of the night, had to say about the big win against LMU. Again, Carr hit that game winner off the right wing to win it for the Gophers 67-64. to That's what we're going to focus on here today is there's really no football to talk about right now. Coming up on the show, that's everything we'll have for you here on the Locked On Golden Gopher podcast. But first, before we get into all of that, we make sure that we get you up to date on everything going on with the Gophers right now, and we'll do that as we speak. Of course, the big news from yesterday, aside from Marcus Carr's big shot, earlier in the day, the Gopher football team announced it will not play again this weekend. The matchup against Northwestern canceled, will not be rescheduled. Gophers will play a maximum of now six games in the Big Ten this season. It's something you could have kind of suspected after the game was canceled against Wisconsin. With other Big Ten teams that have had to cancel games, it's pretty much been if you cancel one, you're going to have to cancel at least two, and the Gophers fall to that as well. So no game this weekend against Northwestern. Hopefully they can pick themselves up and be ready for a season finale that would come up later on, or at least a regular season finale next week. While one season is halted, another one set to start up tomorrow night. The Minnesota Gopher women's basketball team tips off tomorrow. I guess I should say tomorrow afternoon. They'll face off against Eastern Illinois at 2 p.m. local time. The Gophers do not have terribly high expectations this season. Lindsay Whalen's team has been in the top 25 throughout her tenure, in and out and bouncing all around, but a little bit of some lower expectations this time around. As far as Big Ten preseason polls went, the polls only ranked the top five teams for both the coaches and the media. Minnesota did not show up on either of those. Also, no Minnesota players on the Big Ten preseason all-conference teams from the coaches or media. And Minnesota not to be found either in ESPN's Charlie Cream's bracketology early in the season as things get started up. So, the Gophers, if they do end up getting to any sort of NCAA tournament or having success, it would be exceeding expectations, it seems like. But Lindsey Whalen has done that before, both on the court and as a coach of this Gopher squad as well. I do not doubt her. And of course, the big news from last night, Marcus Carr with another outstanding performance, his third in a row to start this season, and this one capped off with a game winner. If you were watching it, you saw him go right at Jalen Anderson of LMU, then step back, leave Anderson in his dust, and bury a three-pointer with less than three seconds to play to win the game for the Gophers. Again, the final score, 67-64. to Gophers survive an early season scare from LMU. I'll get to the, my analysis from that game yesterday and also some praise for LMU too because they were really good in our next segment. But I want to start off with my one quick take and talk about football again. Again, the Gophers aren't going to be playing this week, but I do want to go a little bit wider scope than that. What does what's going on with the Big Ten right now? With everyone canceling games and teams being ineligible or getting close to ineligible, mean for the Big Ten title game? There's already no Wisconsin eligible for that game. They weren't in line to play in it anywho after losing to Northwestern. But now they can't play in it even if they had fought back. 
Ohio State is now looking at a situation where it has to play the remainder of its games to be able to be eligible for that Big Ten championship. So I ask, what is a Big Ten title game without those two teams even eligible to play in it? Or if any other big team is not able to do so, like a Northwestern who won't play Minnesota this weekend and was in line to play in that game. If they end up losing too many games, well, they've already played six, right? Five and one. So yeah, they won't end up losing enough to not play in it. But like Indiana, what if they end up not being able to play? I, I'm not sure actually what Indiana's record even is even, but I, I guess I should have looked this up before. I'll look it up right now. Indiana football, if they can't play in this game, Hoosiers at the moment right now looking at the standings in the Big Ten East, they sit at 5-1, and one, so they'd be able to play in it anyway. But I guess the idea is that like if there's no Ohio State, let's say, that's really the big factor. If there's no Ohio State in this game, a team that's only played four games and has to play the rest of its games to be able to play in it, what kind of weight are you putting on that Big Ten title game? The conversation is always about the conference championships, especially when it comes to the college football playoff. But I don't know if that value is there anymore. Does a Big Ten champion carry as much weight if it's without the Ohio State and Wisconsin teams being even eligible for that game? I don't know. And I don't know how much you put on a Big Ten title if you're like in Indiana or a Northwestern, if you know that you got there because Ohio State wasn't able to get there. And in turn... What are you doing if you're Ohio State right now? Because they're probably thinking the same thing. They know the Big Ten title game without them in it has much less value. And they understand that as things stand right now, they're a college football playoff team. So if I'm Ohio State, it's at least starting to creep into my head right now. Well, how much more do I really have to do to get into the college football playoff? What do I need for the committee to let me in? Would the college football playoff committee let him in right now with four wins and without a title game to play in? I think right now and just about all season, everyone would probably consider Ohio State one of the four best teams in college football, just talent-wise. But that's what the committee has to measure. The perceived talent against the actual resume, what they've actually done on the field. Every single year they have to do this. And while I don't think it's enough what Ohio State has right now, just four wins and what would be four wins without a Big Ten title game even played in, but at the same time, the committee has shown that it'll lean toward the talent more than it will the resume. If things are close, they're going to pick the team that they think is better on the field. I could easily see them getting an Ohio State bid over, say, a Cincinnati or a BYU. And everybody else that's really contending has already lost a game. Remember, Ohio State at 4-0 is still undefeated, and I do think that matters. Also, not to mention, another spot could open up in that Final Four when Notre Dame plays Clemson again in the ACC title game. So there's plenty of opportunities for Ohio State to make an argument that, well, yeah, we weren't able to play as many games, but everybody knows that we're one of the four best teams in college football. You can't just not have us in there. And in the same way that the Big Ten title game doesn't really have the value that it would without Ohio State, I bet the Buckeyes would argue that a college football playoff without them, especially given that they haven't lost, doesn't have as much merit either. Now, obviously, that's not an opinion that's going to spread throughout the country, but that's what Ohio State fans would be saying. Hey, we weren't even in there. We would have won it. So how much does Ohio State have to do? Obviously, it's not something you act on right now. If you're Ohio State, you're not thinking, well, maybe we should uh, keep everyone quote-unquote safe and not play anymore and just see if we can get in the college football playoff with what we got right now. 
but there has to be at least part of that team that's starting to think, do we really have to play another game to get into this? I mean, there's definitely a route, I think. There's definitely a route with all the other games being played for Ohio State to be able to sneak in with a 4-0 record without a Big Ten title. I think 5-0 is definitely in there too, even more so. Obviously, you get to 6-0, you're playing in that Big Ten title game, but I do think that you have to really start thinking about this year as we get down to the nitty-gritty and we get down to when people are actually making these rankings. How much does Ohio State still have to do? Is four wins enough? I think there's a path where it could end up being enough given who wins and loses elsewhere. But I do think that the Buckeyes do have to start thinking to themselves, well, we're 4-0 right now and there's an excuse to not play any more football games right there laying for us. If it's good enough to get us into the college football playoff as is, or if it ends up being that way, why would we take a field again until the college football playoff semifinal? Again, I don't think it's quite there yet. I don't think only four games played will be enough to do it. But do I think it's out of the entire conversation? No. I think the college football playoff committee could very easily put a four-win Ohio State team in there. Because again, I think everyone thinks that Ohio State's one of the best four teams talent-wise in college football. And while the resume may not be there, the committee has leaned toward talent over resume before, and they'll do it again. This would be the most extreme case of it ever, but I wouldn't put it past that committee to do that. Just something to think about. Again, this is a Minnesota Gophers podcast. I don't want to get too much into Ohio State stuff, but just a little bit of a situation I wanted to try and get into as to what exactly it would mean if Ohio State didn't play again as to when that selection day comes. I do think it could happen, depending on what happens elsewhere, that Ohio State does get in over even an undefeated like BYU. Cincinnati, I don't know. They play in a bit of a better conference, but BYU... I think they could very easily jump over that team with just four wins. But we'll see how it all plays out, and hopefully Ohio State can just play their games and we don't have to get to that situation anyway. Well, if you need to chill out like the Minnesota Gopher football team is doing right now, and you do need a little bit of a break from that go, go, go all the time schedule that seems to be hitting us even harder in 2020 somehow, you should reach for Coors Light. Coors Light is the beer that's literally made to chill. Now, I mean like chill out too, but also literally as well. Cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged as well. It's as crisp, as refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, as they like to say. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light wants you to know that no matter what sports on this winter, Saturdays are your time to chill, and you should be reaching for a Coors Light to do so. It's the one I reach for when I'm watching Marcus Carr hit game-winning shots or watching the Minnesota Gophers not play football. So you should do it as well. When you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Remember, celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up in just a moment, we're talking about the big win for the Gopher basketball team yesterday against Loyola Marymount, a three-point W for the Gophers. It wasn't a perfect game by any means, but a win's a win. And then later on, we'll break down what Richard Pitino and Marcus Carr had to say about the game after it. I was really impressed by the leadership that Marcus Carr showed both on the court and in the post-game presser as well. We'll break that all down in just a minute. Nate Dickinson here with the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. Nate Dickinson back with you here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. Before we get into the game from yesterday, let's talk about tomorrow's show. 
Coming up tomorrow, well, this is usually the day when we have our kind of Media Monday review. As the Gopher football team has its press conferences on Monday, we talk about what they had to say during Tuesday's show, usually. But with the team pausing activities, that not only means no practices and no games, it also means no press conferences. But there will be a PJ Flex show that is out later on today with Mike Grimm. I'll listen into that one, and we'll have a little bit of analysis as to what this team's doing right now when it's not doing anything team-related at the moment. It'll be interesting, I'm sure, to hear what Fleck has to say about all of that, and we'll talk about it tomorrow right here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. All right, so let's get into this game yesterday. 67-64, to the final over Loyola Marymount. Marcus Carr with the game winner. You know all about that. I want to start, though, with Loyola Marymount and the Lions and just how impressed I was with this team. I mean, you look over, that's a good basketball team a team that took advantage of its opportunities and really drew up a really nice game plan, honestly, to match up against these Gophers. You can say what you want about the Gophers, what the Gophers weren't able to do defensively or as far as fouls go or rebounding, but really Loyola Marymount came together with a really good plan. First-year coach Stan Johnson, he's a guy who, who's emotional. If you were watching the game yesterday, he, one, showed off his hops by going up to get a ball that was heading out of bounds and then slammed it into the floor late after his team turned it over on that play. He has a team that just isn't going to lie down. And you could tell that throughout each of the games that Loyola Marymount played against the Gophers, even after the Gophers were putting together punch after punch in that first game on Saturday, the team didn't back away. And that's something that's really, really good to have for a program that's trying to build something in LMU. The team had reason to believe after that first game because, again, it lost by 15 to the Gophers but was in it for a long time and came out yesterday and put together a really, really hard fight. I mean, I don't know about wins and losses with this squad. The team only won 11 games last year. It did win 22 games the year before that. But this is just not a team that's ever going to give up. And that's really, really good on them, and also good scheduling by the Gophers, too. They found a team that, I don't know if they knew it when they scheduled it, but they found a team that was going to give them a good fight, was going to go hard for an entire 40 minutes, and when you're looking for some of those tune-up games, as maybe you might call them, and I wouldn't even put Loyola Marymount in that category because they look like they're going to be a decent team. But if you're looking for those games early in the season to try and let yourself work out your own kinks, you want to have a team like that, a team that's going to push you and not one that'll just lie down. And to be fair, if LMU had lost by like 30 on Saturday, maybe there would have been more of a lie down here on Monday night. But I don't know about any of that. That's hypothetical. I was just really impressed with what I saw from that LMU team throughout the 80 minutes of basketball we got to see from them. And I will be keeping an eye on that squad as it goes forward and not just for the outstanding mullet behind it. So let's get more into this game, though. The biggest thing I thought for the Gophers was foul trouble. It's been a big, big thing that's plagued this team throughout the season. It's the reason why LMU was able to stay in this game for such a long part of it not only by getting to the free throw line, but also at the same time, getting some key gopher players out of the game. Liam Robbins picked up four fouls in 16 minutes of game time. That's spanning across two halves because he sat most of the first half after picking up three fouls right away. I wonder if this was a problem at Drake, and I'll actually look it up right now here as I'm speaking and try and find out how often was he in foul trouble in last season over there, but... It's something that's been a problem with Liam Robbins each of these first three games. And as far as replacing Daniel Oturu, 
Liam Robbins has been my pick as the guy who's going to have the biggest responsibility in filling those shoes, but at the same time, I think also has the biggest ability to fill those shoes. He's a seven-footer. He's someone who blocks shots, rebounds, and scores at a high rate. He's a true seven-footer at that, and not all players in college basketball listed at seven feet are. But he's someone who's going to be able to be that anchor in the middle that will be able to fill that role in a way that none of the other new additions for the Gophers really can. And now as I look back at Liam Robbins' uh, basketball reference page from over at Drake last season, I'm seeing fouled out in the last game of the conference tournament that they played. Fouled out in one game before two. Had four fouls, and I'm just counting up now as I go through one, two, three other games as well. Fouled out two more times. Yeah, foul trouble has not been something that he's been great with. But at the same time, while he was at Drake and now that he's at the Gophers, Being the man in the middle comes with some foul trouble, usually. I mean, you're the guy that everyone's running at when they're going into the lane. So when you're going up with them, you can stay up, you can play good defense, but sometimes you're just going to have a lot of contact coming your way. And it won't always be his fault. It'll be because a guard let a man get by him, and the momentum carrying him toward the basket is something Robbins can't do anything about. But I need Liam Robbins to be able to be at least a little more careful. And it does seem like, as I look at this, that this was something that may have been a bit of a problem at Drake last season as well. But even when he was fouling out, he was getting good minutes. And maybe that's by force, like Coach was just forced to keep him in there. He's the most talented guy on the team, and he needed his talent out there. But I'm concerned about it now. Because as I'm looking at things as it stands, he did have foul trouble at Drake last year, and That was playing at Drake, not in the Big Ten. So I am a little bit concerned going forward. That's something you're going to be watching, or I'm going to be watching at least going forward, is what can Leah Robbins do as far as making sure he's not in that foul trouble that he's been in each of the first three games this season? And as you'll hear when we talk later on about the press conferences, Richard Pitino praised a guy like Eric Curry who was able to come in and get meaningful minutes off the bench. But Liam Robbins is the guy who's supposed to be that one. He's the one who's starting. And until he can be someone who is able to get 30 minutes per game, it, it doesn't matter how good he is. you got to stay out of the foul trouble. But it wasn't just him yesterday. Loyola Marymount was all over the Gophers early on and throughout in attacking, making sure that they went at the Gophers and putting everyone, really, in foul troubles. Uh, I was looking at it. Brandon Johnson, uh, Jarvis O'Mersa, they all had three fouls by the under-12 timeout in the second half. In fact, I'll pull up the box score right now. I believe it was at least two players that fouled out yesterday and probably at least another one or two that had four fouls on his name as well. I'll pull up the box score here as I I talk. And again, Minnesota last night had three fouls from Booth Gotch. Fouling out for that game for Minnesota, both Liam Robbins and Brandon Johnson. Also, Jarvis O'Mersa fouled out in that one as well. Overall, the Gophers committed 25 personal fouls as a team. Now, Loyal Marymount committed 24 of their own, so it was a chippy game overall. I mean, you put together 49 fouls in the course of a 40-minute basketball game. Yeah, that's physical. But it was intentionally physical by Marymount. They thought that they would be able to go at this Gopher team and get to the free throw line, and they did. Luckily, they missed nine free throws and went 23 of 32 from the stripe. But it was still 32 free throws taken to the Gophers 24 in that game. So there was something that the Lions were able to do or able to figure out that I think other teams might want to try and hone in on as well. 
because they were very successful getting to the free throw line and doing what they wanted to do as far as being physical, being an attacking team. And when you're playing a West Coast Conference team as a Big Ten team, you'd like to think that you're the team that's going to be able to be more physical, that you're the team that's going to be able to rock a team like Loyola Marymount. But it seemed like the Lions were the team that was being more assertive on offense, and that's something that's a little bit more concerning too as well. I'm not going to look too much into that in this particular case, but if it happens more going forward, I think it's something to at least keep an eye on. Because LMU intentionally went at the Gophers, and Minnesota had no way to stop those fouls. A couple of other notes before we get into the press conferences from yesterday. Again, the fouls, I think, were the biggest thing. Richard Pitino actually disagreed. He said it was the rebounding that went into those fouls or led to those fouls that was the biggest problem. But we'll hear more from what he had to say in the next segment. But a couple of other just minor things that I wanted to talk about. There was a really good point made by the color commentator in the broadcast yesterday, I, name escapes me, about Booth Gotch bringing up the ball for the Gophers and how his ability to bring up the basketball can also take Marcus Carr off the ball because Gabe Kalsher can bring up the ball as well. But Booth Gotch has been really impressive through these first few games, especially as a guy in transition, as a guy running that offense. And if he can continue to be that player, somebody who's able to let Marcus Carr get out on the wing, then Carr's ability as a scorer is just going to skyrocket even further. I mean, no doubt, Marcus Carr should be the point guard on this team for most of the time. He has that ability and, well, the passing ability, too, to be able to work around and run this team better than Gotch can. But when the Gophers want to switch things up, being able to have a guy like Booth Gotch who can bring up the basketball and allow Carr to set up on the wing, that's really, really valuable. The other only other thing I want to talk about with Marcus Carr, and we talked about it at the top of the show, but just his ability to be kind of the leader of this team, I think has really shown through in this first three games. We already knew he was clutch. He hit a game winner against Ohio State last season. We already knew he had the ability to come out with big scoring outputs. But this year, he's done it consistently through three games. Again, it's been against Loyola Marymount twice and then Green Bay before that. But his ability to score the basketball seemingly at will has been huge because he was the guy that kept the Gophers in it. While the fouls were keeping Loyola Marymount in it, Marcus Carr pretty much single-handedly kept the Gophers in it for a lot of that game, at least as far as scoring the basketball goes. His ability as a playmaker and a shot creator is invaluable because this season especially, every team is going to need that. It's 2020 still. And everyone's dealing with this coronavirus stuff and everyone's dealing with a limited amount of practice time if not, as the Gophers have already had once, times where they have to shut things down entirely. So, in a year when you're not going to have the normal amount of time to get to know each other as basketball players, mesh together as a team, and really try and figure out things that might be going wrong. With that time limited this year, every team, if it wants to be successful, is going to need one of those guys like Marcus Carr, who can just take the ball and say, hey, I don't know what's going on with everybody else, but I need to make a shot. And Marcus Carr can make that shot for himself. And when he makes the shot opportunity, he can usually knock the shot down, as we saw throughout the game, and especially in the last play of the game, of course, yesterday, too. That's huge to have, and it seems like the Gophers have it in their junior guard. Well, we'll talk more about that junior guard in Marcus Carr, hear what he had to say in the press conference yesterday after the game, as well as Richard Pitino. What was his takeaway about what his team did well and did not do so well yesterday night? 
We'll talk about it in our next segment. To wrap things up here on the Locked On Golden Gopher Podcast, Nate Dickinson here with Locked On. We're back on the Locked On Golden Gopher Podcast. Nate Dickinson with you here. We're going to go over what Richard Pitino and Marcus Carr had to say after the big win over Loyola Marymount yesterday. Again, 67-64, the final. But first, I got to tell you about Locked On NFL. Now, if you've been listening into the Locked On Podcast Network, you may already know about Locked On NFL. But if not, you got to give it a listen. We make a lot of comparisons between the Gophers and the Vikings because, well, they have a lot of similarities. Run game's really good. Defense has not been so good. It's a lot of parallels there. But if you want to know everything going on with the NFL, you can head on over to Locked On NFL. They do the same thing we do here. Half hour of your day, nothing that's really time consuming, and you can stay up to date on everything going on around the league. Also, the Locked On Vikings podcast just so happens to be one of the better and better followed podcasts on that Locked On NFL network. Luke Braun does a really, really good job both on the podcast and on his Twitter, which is at Luke Braun NFL in doing a really good job of breaking down what's going on with Minnesota. He's really knowledgeable, knows more about the football kind of stuff and ins and outs of it and the X's and O's than I do, no doubt about that. We'll probably have to get him on here to talk more Gophers with us at some point. But he does a great job, Locked On NFL does a great job. I encourage you to give that podcast a try. If you like the format we have here with Locked On, where you get all your information in a condensed amount of space. Now let's move on to what we saw from the Gophers yesterday in the press conferences after the game. Gophers picked up the big win. I'm always interested to hear what the coaches and players have to say after it, though. Richard Pitino got out, and obviously he was asked right away about Marcus Carr's last shot, and he, he said all the things you need to say. Great shot, great player. But he brought up that this was the third time that the Gophers had run that play. It worked once. He was able to get in and get a foul and score. The second time, though, he turned the ball over. And he lost his footing a bit, as Patino put it, and drew an offensive foul that ended up being that gave the ball back to LMU. And then in the huddle going into that last play, Carr was actually the one to tell Patino, he said, to run it again. And it, Carr, when he was asked about it too, he said he just wanted to get the play right for his guys because he knew he could make that play after making the mistake before. But that's leader kind of stuff. I don't know if last year's Marcus Carr is somebody who goes into that huddle after a big, big mistake like that and says, give it to me again. I want to be able to be the one who makes this play, wins or loses this game for our team. I guess it was a tie game, so wins the game for our team. That's the kind of leader and captain stuff that you want to see out of Carr this year in particular because those are the kind of things that he needs to do this year that he didn't do last year. Because really, as far as scoring or his ability as a player, he's going to be just as good. He'll be asked to do more, obviously. But being the leader of this team is really what he needs to be able to embrace. And in the third game of the season, after making a mistake like that, being able to go into the huddle and say, hey, give me that ball again. I know I can get that play right. I know I can win this game for my team right now. That's the kind of leader stuff that you want to see from him. And he was doing all of that both in the game and in the post-game presser, as we'll get to what he had to say in a moment. But back to Patino. He went on to put a lot of praise on for the team as a whole. He's like P.J. Fleck when we've talked about his press conferences, a guy who will throw some of that coach speak in there and say the right things all the time, but it's a little bit more in-depth than just saying the sports cliches that we hear all the time. Like, the end of the day, a win's a win. We worked hard executing and putting together a good string of plays. It's more than that, which I can respect. It's a nice little balance of, yeah, I understand that I need to say what I 
uh, the right thing, but at the same time, I want to give someone some insight. I think Patino and Fleck both do a really good job of that. He put a lot of praise on the team as a whole. He said that the team played good defense, just didn't rebound. And that was the biggest, biggest thing that he put together out of this game. And when you look at the numbers, Minnesota did get out-rebounded pretty badly. Final tally was 38-26. to I talked all about how the fouling I thought was the biggest problem. Pitino went straight to that rebounding again, too. He said the team played well, just didn't get defensive rebounds. Foul trouble made it harder to get in the groove, he kind of mentioned. But he said he had to be more physical on those rebounds, defensively especially. And he kept on pounding in that point. There were three or four different questions asked about like turnovers or the defense in general, the ability for LMU to get inside and score. And Patino, time and time again, he kept going back to, hey, we played good defense. The fouls weren't the problem. It was the rebounding that we gave up that ended up leading to our team being out of position and having to foul. That's something I think a lot of people may not have been able to quite get a grasp on. One of those things that a coach is thinking about that the average fan isn't. And I think that was a really good insight by him, just kind of thinking into what was going on in his brain during that time. Because the Gophers did get out-rebounded bad. And it did end up leading to some fouls in situations where Minnesota was just out of position. And Patino at least thought that that was what led to all the foul trouble, all of the defensive woes at times. It seemed like LMU was able to score whenever it wanted or at least get to the basket and draw a foul whenever it wanted. I don't know if I buy it 100%. I do think that the foul trouble in general was a little bit of a problem. It wasn't just the rebounding that was causing all of those fouls. But Patino said that that was the biggest thing for him, was that the team needed to get better at rebounding, particularly on defense and particularly on the backcourt as well. Marcus Carr had a good rebounding day. He picked up seven boards, I believe. Yes, he did. But aside from that, the backcourt didn't do all that much as far as getting rebounds. So... He thought that's what needed to get better overall as a whole. And again, 38-26, to 26, he's not wrong. Moving on to Marcus Carr. As I mentioned before, he said that on that last play, he just wanted to get the play right for his guys. And throughout this press conference after the game, I couldn't help but think about the kind of leadership he showed just in the way he was talking to the media as well. And again, I'm not saying this is something that Marcus Carr didn't do last season, but he said some stuff that just really showed, I thought, a lot of maturity and understanding when he spoke as well. He said that Gabe Kalsher won the game for this team. And Gabe Kalsher did have some great plays down the stretch. He uh, took a charge, if you remember right, then made a good stop in the next possession. Then after that, hit some clutch free throws to give Carr the opportunity to make that play. And the kind of handing off credit like that, that's just more of that leader stuff we were talking about. It seems like Carr is really, really embracing his role as the leader of this team, and I can't get enough of it. I want to hear more of that kind of stuff from Marcus Carr. Really, really good from him. As far as the maturity on the basketball court goes, he mentioned about how in the first half, LMU was playing him pretty well defensively, and they were, and he made some halftime adjustments to how he was being guarded. He said he sat down in the locker room, really thought about how this team was playing him differently than how it had on Saturday and then was able to make those adjustments and change his game in the second half. And in that second half, he was nonstop scoring. As we mentioned earlier, whenever Minnesota seemingly needed a bucket, while LMU, LMU was being able to do anything on offense and the Gophers were still trying to figure things out on defense, Marcus Carr was right there every single time, it seemed, to be able to make sure the Gophers didn't get too far behind in that game. And that was obviously, again, the kind of stuff you want to see as a leader on the court, and he said the right things as a leader off the court, too, 
to make me think that he really has matured into this role and is ready to take it on going further. I was really, really glad with what I saw from Marcus Carr yesterday and honestly what I've seen from him all season so far. He's obviously been great through three games. Hopefully, when the competition gets better, he can step up just as he has so far. That's just what I thought about what I heard from the press conferences post-game from both Patino and Carr. Coming up tomorrow, we'll hopefully have more of the coaches' talk to talk about. P.J. Fleck has his Gopher Football Weekly show that's still going on. Pause in activities means no press conferences, no practices, no games. So nothing on that front to go for, but we will still have Gopher Football Weekly airing today and hopefully on YouTube in time for me to watch through it tonight and record for tomorrow. We'll get our analysis of what P.J. says the team is doing with, well, not being able to do all that much. That's coming up tomorrow here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. Until then, row the boat, Sky Uma, go Gophers. I'm Nate Dickinson.